typically developing children hear examples of how we use language all throughout the day. It's sprinkled out over time. And that's enough for them to learn the pattern. But research has told us that language disordered children really benefit from these concentrated doses and the varied example. So you've got to vary around the constant. Welcome to the Mindful SLP, the show that explores simple but powerful therapy techniques for optimal outcomes. I'm Dan, here with co-host Denise Stratton, and today we're continuing our discussion from last week about a client of hers who has made some dramatic gains in expressive language. Denise, why don't you give us a quick review just so we're all on the same page? Here's what I'd like you to know about David to catch you up. He has autism, and a year ago his language was quite typical of what we hear in many of our clients with autism. I mean, he could sometimes talk in complete sentences or longer sentence, but he usually didn't. He often used just one or two words per utterance, and he had some echolalia. He tended to repeat himself a lot and perseverate on the same topics. He could sometimes tell me a sequence of events, almost like a story, but not really with a plot. He read well as far as decoding, but his comprehension was below his reading level. If I were to compare his two to three word sentences with a typically developing child's two to three word sentences, you would see that the typically developing child's sentences gave you more information. And he was nine last spring. That catches you up on where he was a year ago when I started searching for a way to move him forward. In our last podcast, we talked about how I analyzed his language according to the stage one sentence types in Brown's grammatical morphemes. And if you're a little bit fuzzy on those, we're going to review those. Agent action, agent locative, all of that. Good. I discovered that David was using nearly 90% agent action sentence types and that many sentence types were completely missing from his speech. He was powerless in nearly every case to use more complex language because he lacked the ability to express concepts such as possession or negation or location. I hypothesized that that was why he was hitting a ceiling in therapy. All right. And that's where you left us hanging last week. So let's get started. What are we going to talk about this week? I know last week was all background, so thanks for sticking with us. This week is about my interventions and the results, which I have to tell you right off the bat were and continue to be remarkable. I can't believe how simple the interventions are. Now, you know our mantra is, when you master the simple, the complex takes care of itself. But even so, I'm still a little incredulous and I find myself pinching myself almost at the simplicity of the solution and the results I'm seeing. Now, you mentioned last week that you hadn't been able to find any research that anyone was doing on this stage one sentence types, but I believe that has changed. Yeah, that's right. I was really excited to find another group that uses some of the same methodology. Okay, stage one sentence types have been around forever. Right. But I hadn't been able to find anyone else using them to intervene in autism Hmm. until um, last week. And so they are also experiencing really great results. And ASHA has an on-demand webinar going right now that describes their method. It's called Natural Language Acquisition. So their methodology is somewhat different from mine, but they also recognize the vast importance of sentence types. I'm still exploring natural language acquisition, and I'll report back when I understand it better. Good. So what are you going to call your method? I'm calling it essential language for autism. Once you start doing these interventions, it becomes crystal clear why stage one sentence types are essential. They become so natural to do when you start recognizing ways to model them. So here's just one example. One of David's ways of telling a joke is to say something is what it isn't. So he might say today's Monday when it was really Tuesday. And if you don't come back and say, oh, no, it's not Monday, it's Tuesday, he'll say it for you. 
to complete uh-huh. the joke. <laughs> um, but once I recognize this as an opportunity to model negation non-existence, I would reply, Monday's gone. Monday was yesterday and yesterday's gone and things like that. I just started naturally figuring out how to give him the sentence types that he needed. Why don't we dive into the sentence types now? I'm new to all this, so explain to me just what are all these sentence types. The first thing you need to know is that there's two categories. There's what's called operations of reference and semantic relations. In my work with David, I found that the operations of reference are just as important, maybe more so than the semantic relations. I mean, they're both super important, but it just seemed that when he learned operations of reference, he was able to say a lot more than he could before. Under operations of reference, we have nomination, naming something. So that dog, that's what we call a childlike sentence. And the meaning is that is a dog. Okay. Then we have recurrence, something happening again. Okay. So an example is more juice. Oh, okay. Um, and or the child means there another is... Another dog would be a recurrence? Mm-hmm. Another, more. And then we have three kinds of negation. And this is so important. David had one very simple type negation. He could only say something wasn't. Like he would say about my new floor in the waiting room, it's not grass. That's okay. about like the only kind of negation he had. And it was a really... Uh, mind-blowing to me when I realized how limited he was in negation because we use it all the time. Right. So we've got negation denial. The example is no wee-wee. Denial. I didn't do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which means I did not do a wee-wee. Okay. <laughs> That's what the child means. Um, yeah. We've got negation rejection. No more. Okay. I don't want any more. Okay. No more. We've got negation non-existence, like birdie go which means the bird has gone, or what I was using with Monday's gone. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, those are the operations of reference. Now we have semantic relations. So we have action agent, like daddy go, means daddy is going. Okay. Okay, that's what David had 90% of. And I think a lot of kids with autism who have been sort of drilled sure. in language with the hope that they're going to get spontaneous language just end up with a lot of agent action. That's the easy one, yeah. It's, it's what we tend to think of. Mm-hmm. I want, I see what we call these sort of carrier phrases. Oh, if they can say I want, then they can fill in a whole bunch of other stuff. But actually, it's, it's so limiting for them. Right. Then we've got action object, like throw ball. Okay. Throwing the ball. So you're doing an action on an object. And by the way, when kids start putting sentences together, language-impaired kids, they have a really hard time sometimes remembering that object. It's right there. It's the very end of the sentence, and they'll just... Sometimes I just kind of stop dead. Throw. Throw. And we've got agent object. And the example is man hat, meaning the man wears a hat. So the person, the agent, has an object. Okay. And we've got action locative. And locative just means location. The example is in car. Well, if you're just in doing car. really short sentences, oh, true. the yeah. child might just say in car. Okay. Meaning I am in the car. And then we've got entity locative. So the example is kitty chair. Kitty is on the chair. Using the kitty as an entity. Yeah. You know, um, I understand animals can be characters. Animals can sometimes be agents, whatever. Uh-huh. But in this case, it's <laughs> In this case, entity. yeah. But, um, or the book chair yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you got possessor and possession of an object. A person possessing an object, like Sally Ball. I mean, that's Sally's ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we've got entity plus attribute. So the example I have is water hot. The water is hot. Okay. But you might remember from last week where I told the story about David's hat, which is his cougar hat Mm -hmm. from the BYU team that is called the Cougars that he loves and how he couldn't put the entity with attribute. So he he talked about a cougar falling into the river 
when he meant cougar hat. Right. And it would be hard for people who didn't know him to even understand what he was talking about. Right. And the last one is demonstrative plus entity. So saying this train, a, a reference when we make this, I mean this train. I don't mean that train. Okay. I mean this one right here, which okay. is kind of abstract if you think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. But just imagine what it would be like if you didn't have nomination this and that and demonstrative entity, if you didn't have those in your speech. Yeah, it would be really, it'd be harder. And your speech would sound kind of unnatural. Exactly. Yeah. So where can I find a copy of all these? On my website. Oh, really? <laughs> SLPProAdvisor.com. And also, I have started a website for Essential Language for Autism, and it's called EssentialLanguageAutism.com to get a copy. We'll have those stage one sentence types. Those are also in the, the resource library, which is SLPProAdvisor.com slash free. Yes, so. they're in the resource library. So let's get back to David. Now, you had determined that he had this deficiency of these different sentence types. How did you start working with him to gain these sentence types? Well, I determined which sentence types would be most critical for him to learn. And granted, I was making educated guesses, but I knew I couldn't work on them all at once. And it seemed to me that the different types of negation and recurrence are really high on the list. So that's where I started. And from those sentence types, I chose two to three per session to work on. And I inundated him with examples of how to express those sentence types. I was using some research that's called statistical learning. And what it means is when you give someone with a language disorder lots of examples, it's like a concentrated dose. With variation in the example, their brains will pick up on the pattern. Okay. So typically developing children hear examples of how we use language all throughout the day. It's sprinkled out over time. Right. And that's enough for them to learn the pattern. But research has told us that language disordered children really benefit from these concentrated doses and the varied example. So you've got to vary around the constant. So let me see if I understand this then. Take stage one sentence types and you present them in a concentrated, varied examples. That is what, in essence, is essential language for autism. Sounds pretty simple. Give me some examples of how this might work in an actual therapy session. First and foremost, I chose every activity to be a high interest one for David. So that's what you've got to do. You've got to have their interest so their motivation is high. When I worked on negation non-existence, we just made things go away or disappear. And I would model sentences like, it left, it's gone, she went away, he disappeared. And so I just varied my responses as much as I could around the concept of mm -hmm. negation non-existence. Maybe not the same words all the time, but just still that specific sentence type. The thing to remember is variation around the constant. So words such as left, gone away, went away, disappeared, those are the constant that express the negation non-existence. And the other words are variable. You can change it up to, you know, it, it's, that, she, he, they, you know, whatever you can think of. Vary that as much as you can. What kind of activities are there for negation non-existence? Some of the ones that I did is we put pictures in paper airplanes and flew them away. Sounds fun. We covered things up. And by the way, that's one you can do online with the whiteboard and the annotation tool. You can have pictures that you can right. um, make, make them, them disappear. disappear. Mm -hmm. um, we flipped chips with a catapult. This is one of David's favorite activities. So by the way, check out my simple tools video to see how to make a catapult. And I'll put a link in the show notes, slpproadvisor.com slash blog slash 26 is where you'll see that catapult video. When the chips catapulted away, you know, chips it left, gone. it's gone, chips <laughs> gone, whatever. And then we used another kind of negation when I put a hula hoop on the floor and we tried to flip chips into the hoop. And when we missed, 
Ah. My model sentence is like, it didn't go in. I didn't make it. That's not in the hoop and so forth. Tell me, how did David respond to your modeling? I never had to ask him to repeat me. We don't naturally want to do that, but he naturally did. Uh, Most of these kids, they want to communicate with us. Right. The fantastic thing, though, was that David wasn't repeating me exactly. He wasn't using echolalia. He was figuring out how to express the relation on his own. For example, he might say, it not fit when I said, it doesn't fit. Okay. Um, He soaked up the sentence types like a sponge, unlike he was naturally hardwired to use them, but just needed a little extra help. And by the way, there is some research about natural hardwiring and and these semantic relations. So that's really interesting to me. I know he said it not fit. Did you correct his grammar? Uh, No, I mean, I modeled the correct grammar, but imperfect grammar is exactly what you want. In fact, it's kind of what you're looking for. As perfect grammar at this stage tends to mean they're using memorized phrases or they're copying you rather than understanding how to express relationships. Imperfect grammar is how typically developing children learn stage one sentence types. And so when I heard that, I was like, yes. That makes sense. Kids who are very young learning their grammar don't use correct grammar. And to be clear, I mean, David didn't have a lot of grammar sometimes because like I said, he communicated a lot in one and two words. But when he did have longer sentences, he tended to have the grammar correct. So an indication that was... um. Memorized. Memorized, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so the cool thing was when he started putting these stage one sentence types together, his grammar was all over the place because he was figuring it out. And that's that's great. And that's, that is, oh, that is music to my ears. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you have a massive amount of activities. How do you come up with all these? They're not too hard to think of, actually. These are such basic concepts. And it's very natural to talk about them. And so here's just a few examples, but I have an extensive list of suggested activities to go along with the sentence types, along with what you could say to model that stage one sentence type. I wrote these down in hopes that it will save you some time. So go to essentiallanguageautism.com or slpproadvisor.com slash ELA to get your copy. Let's dive into some of these here. Possessor possession. I have a dominoes game. It's called Who's Nose. Okay. And so it's got animals, noses. And then the animal. And the animal, you match it, it's actually got a human too. (laughs) Um, But anyway, you know, you can say tiger's nose, elephant's nose. You're using possessor possession. Oh boy, I want to put the elephant nose on the tiger. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get to use negation. Okay. Uh, One of the activities I did for action locative was a simple little story that I called Timmy's Day that I wrote and very crudely illustrated. (laughs) But it was all about where a boy played in a day, in his sandbox, jumping on the trampoline with his sister, jumping in mud puddles, you know, stuff like that. David loved that little storybook, even though it didn't really have a plot. And this is what is interesting because David does like to read. I mean, he'll try his hand at reading almost anything I put in front of him, but he doesn't really like to stop and talk about the pictures usually. He just wants to do the rote reading. Mm Mm-hmm. But this book really sparked his conversation because I think it was about, it was his levels, what he could understand. That's where he was with his language. That makes sense. And once again, I tried to make everything high interest activities for him and that kept his motivation high. It was all in the context of play. Now I've had a few activities that were clunkers, but of course, he lets well, me know sense. pretty fast. So mm-hmm. <laughs> when that you know happened, I just quickly ended the activity. We tried something else. That just happens in speech therapy. We have to pivot. Oh, yeah. And so parents and SLPs can understand just how simple it is to implement essential language. I'd like to try a few on you. Now, I'll give you a sentence type and an activity and see what you can do with it, okay? If you can come up with how to model 
Okay. Just send us tight. Let's give it a shot. Remember, folks, I am not a trained professional. Do try this at home. So suppose you're doing the picnic fun activity. And by the way, I have a video on that too. Yes. And you want to model negation rejection. Negation rejection. That means uh, don't like. Or you, so you would take the puppet, the animal puppet or whatever mm-hmm. puppet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the parrot don't like bananas mm-hmm. or don't want. Or yeah. There you go. That's the one. Um, no want. Um would be another way. So, uh, yeah, and uh, no more. No more. Okay. Because they're full. Even past tense, oh, he didn't want it. He didn't like it. He didn't eat it. Okay. Yeah. So there's one. And let's think of another one. Suppose you're doing entity plus attribute with toy food. Toy food. So we got yellow bananas and red apples. Cut watermelon because you can cut your... your Fruit apart, right? Well, that's an action. Oh, that's an action. Not yeah. A, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, just the colors. It's just the color. And you can... Or um, tasty or sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to add those things in and, and go away from just colors. Right. Or spoiled bananas. Or, or squishy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one more. How about possessor possession and the Lego dinosaurs that little pieces come off of Oh, them? yeah. So you kind of like build dinosaurs with all the little pieces parts. So then you could do its leg... Or this dinosaur's arm, you won't want to do negative, like not right tail or anything like that. Right, that'd be a different one. You could uh, name the dinosaurs, and I mean, I'm not real. Oh, the brown dinosaur, the green dinosaur. I don't know their names. Yeah. Some of my kids do. <laughs> I don't, but I just call them the color. You know, white dinosaur's head, and also we can use he and she. David just happens to be really good at remembering. If I ask, is this a girl or a boy? He'll say girl, and. He'll always remember that. And so, oh, it's her leg, it's her arm, it's her back. So you can do that too. Okay. So those are just a few examples of ways that you can use those stage one sentence types, ways you can model those stage one sentence types. Okay. So after you've been working with David now on this for what? Six Six months. months. Six months you've been working on this. Six months solid. I did it. How's it going? What's the results? The stage one sentence type started to appear spontaneously in his speech. That's good. Without me doing all this modeling. Uh, Because every month I would step back and I would take language samples. Of course. He started expressing complete thoughts, not necessarily complete sentences, but the complete relationship, which is a complete thought. And that's what we want. Cool. His language was less stilted, more information. And I'm just going to give you some examples of things he said. Okay. He started using it as a reference. That was something he hadn't done before. He always had to name whatever he was talking about. He said, not go there, which remembers every bit as good as it doesn't go there, because mm-hmm. it's a complete thought. He was drawing a fish, and he said, that's the fishy. Oh. And not only is that cool because he's using that's, but it's so cool when a child with autism starts to talk about and label what they're drawing. Good. Whenever I see that, I know there's some cool cognitive things happening. Excellent. He said, this blue piece again. He was asking for another blue piece we were building with Tinker Toys. Oh, so he, yeah, repetition. The recurrence. Right. Mm-hmm. The uh, the blue attribute. entity attribute and this. this. So there's a lot going on with that. Yeah. Many things he wouldn't have had before. Previously, he would have, he might have said blue piece. Uh-huh. Or he might have said, I want blue piece, but I want would have been that memorized part. Right. So that's that was really cool to me. He said this and a word I couldn't understand and then go there. I made note of that because we've got the this and we've got the there. 
So we've got two of those references, you know, the, the sort of the non-specific. The reference. Yeah, yeah, which I just love to hear. Now, some of our kids who don't have autism and all they use is this and there and that one, you try and break them of that and tell me specifically what you mean. But with autism, it's the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've got some more. He started saying all done instead of bye-bye. Okay. Which is just a more mature way because everything we did, he would say bye. Bye Bye-bye. We were done with activity. Bye-bye dollhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, and think about how old he is. So much better to say all done. And and hopefully he will... That will continue Express on. other ways, mm-hmm. other ways to say we're all done, you know, we're finished, things like that. Okay. And he said this, do you want to do the farm? That's <laughs> I was a like, very- wow, okay. That is not memorized. I tell you, he had never put words like that together before. Wow. And even asking for your opinion. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he really, really wanted to do the farm. He was asking me that. <laughs> that is sly. <laughs> I got this iPad animal app that he loves. Okay. <laughs> He was describing something he did over the summer, boat in the water like kayaking. Now, that is so awesome. You know, the grammar's not really there, but that's because he's putting all of these ideas together and using this like, the word like. I hadn't heard that before. Oh, and he started using can't. He started using negation just in his spontaneous speech. Good. And here's one more that I just love. He was looking at a picture of a man shaving and he said, skinning on the face. (laughs) That's an interesting one. So he's making up his own word. Okay, we know skinning is a real word, but I mean, he wouldn't have heard that. Yeah, right? he didn't know it. Yeah, he knows the word skin, and he knows that there's, we put ING on words, so creating his own unique word. Kids do that. Right, they do. And that's not something you would do if you were using echolalia, right? Right, skinning on the face. <laughs> yeah, you remember that next time you shave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I shave too close, it's definitely skinning the face. <laughs> there were other interesting things that happened. So remember what I say that, a rising tide floats all boats. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's some boat floating going on here for sure. He was leaving the therapy room one day at the end of the session and he pulled the door over the toe of his shoe uh-huh. and made a little sound like I do when something hurts a little bit, a little yep. kind of ouch sound. Mm-hmm. And then he looked at me and he said, bumped my shoe. He was offering me an explanation. Oh. Now that had never happened before. Wow. See, that's the beginning of cause and effect. Yeah. I was like, Wow. Excellent. And a greater self-awareness, he was drawing himself, mm-hmm. and he started to name all of his body parts. Oh. And whenever I see kids with autism do this, I know something cool and cognitive around self-awareness is happening. And they get real intense about it. In fact, they almost break out into a sweat. <laughs> and sometimes they'll name, they'll go finger, 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 finger. Some of them will even check their hand. I have five fingers, yeah, and make sure they draw five fingers. Of course, they're, they're very I mean, particular. The, yes, but they're really um, being aware right. of, of what they are, who they are, what pieces they have, and making sure they document on the paper. So That's he started cool. doing that. That was just cool. Yeah. Uh, his echolalia has decreased. It hasn't entirely gone away, but it's decreasing. He has less repetition of the same stories. That still happens, mm-hmm. but not as much. And in fact, the last few times he's come in, he's been able to tell me what he did over the weekend. Wow. And, and I know it's right because his mom sends me stories about what they did over the weekend. That's good. So now that you've been working so much with these stage one activities and that's worked well, what, what are you going to do next? After six months of intensive focus on these semantic relations and operations of reference, all of the stage one sentence types were appearing to some degree in his spontaneous language. Excellent. I have to say nomination and demonstrative entity, the this and the that's, occurred the least 
Mm-hmm. And it was actually a little bit difficult to figure out how to do them in lots of activities. But I thought, you know, am I going to hold me back? No, I think we're going to go on. Because my goal was to get him to stories, to telling mm-hmm. stories. So I dipped my toe back into teaching stories using the Story Champs model that we had a couple podcasts about last month. Mm-hmm. And he was ready for it. Oh, so good. So I talked in the last podcast about how he wasn't ready for stories. We just couldn't get anywhere. Now um, he is. And obviously, you can understand if someone doesn't have those semantic relations, those stage one sentence types, they couldn't really get far with a story. Right. It's been so awesome. It's been so exciting. That's what the next podcast is all about. I did tweak a few things in my approach, just particular to David using the Story Champs model. So there's a whole podcast worth of stuff to share. Okay. So I know you've got the stage one sentence types and some of these activities on the website. If I wanted to start doing this. If I was a speech therapist, I want to start building this essential language with some of my autistic clients. Where would I start? I'm going to have a quick start guide for you, just with what I know (laughs) on the website, because this is so awesome. This is so awesome, SLPs out there. You can see so much change if you intervene at the right level. Well, I imagine with some autistic clients who are really stuck in those two words, you know, or, or, you know, very, very basic, this has got to be just very gratifying, very exciting to see them making progress. It has been amazing. And I part of me thinks, why didn't I discover this years ago? But you know, you discover it when you discover it. Yeah. And natural language acquisition, you can also look at that too. They're doing some of the same stuff. But anyway, there's your quick start guide. It'll be there on the website, slpproadvisor.com slash ELA. All right. Or at essentiallanguageautism.com. Great. Next week, we're going to be wrapping this up. But what can we do this week? What is this week's takeaway? Just remember that complete thoughts come before complete sentences. Immature grammar is good. It's very good. I believe parents can do this at home with the materials I provided. And don't get too hung up on what the sentence type is, especially when it comes to those different types of negation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can make your head spin. Just do it. Just start. Just go for it. Give lots of examples in motivating activities, things they love to do, and see what happens. And let me know if you try this. Let me know if you have questions. You can always email me at denise at slpproadvisor.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories. And if you want to try this or if you need a little help just getting started, email me. I'll be glad to help you. Come back next week and we're going to hear the rest of the story with David. Uh, We even have permission from David's parents to play some of the audio recordings of David telling stories. I think you're really going to enjoy this. And it's going to be really great to see how much progress he's made. We're excited to share that with you. So please come back next week and we're going to have the rest of the story. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Mindful SLP. We hope you found some simple tools that will have optimal outcomes in your practice. This podcast is sponsored by SLP Pro Advisor. Visit slpproadvisor.com for more tools, including Impossible R Made Possible, Denise's highly effective course for treating those troublesome R's. A link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and tell your fellow SLPs. And please let us know what you think. Join the conversation at slpproadvisor.com.